when you're a freelancer then you have to reach out to different different people asking for work and you have to be there in the agency's minds that you know I'm there for you because I'm available so you have to do that repeatedly it's not just like you know once or twice you have to do it again and again see if anyone is ready to help you and then the work comes Hello and welcome to episode 45 of Webflow. I'm your host Jack and today my guest is Ankita Gupta. Ankita is a freelance Webflow developer based in Delhi, India. You may have seen her in the semi-final of the Speed Build Challenge narrowly losing to Yuan from Indonesia or speaking at the Floxies community. She's an avid no-code fan and writes a newsletter called Trail of Thoughts which is really informative about UI UX design, no-code cat gpt and more so go check that out they're filled with diagrams and clear analytical thinking which seems to be ankita's great skill the three failures we talk about today are following the herd mentality chasing every new shiny object in the market and waiting for the work to come to you so embrace and learn from failure in episode 45 of webflail with ankita gupta ankita welcome to webflail Thank you, Jack. Thank you for a beautiful description. When I started in my journey as a Webflow developer in the Webflow community, it was very welcoming. And uh, honestly, I felt uh, very comfortable in this community because whenever I had any doubt or whenever I stumbled upon any obstacles, so the community was always there to help me. And that's how I think the journey to become Webflow developer became very easy for me. Right? Yeah. And it seems like you're really keen on giving back to the community. Like there's a big part of you that's learning all the time and consuming a lot of information, but then sharing whatever you learn with the community. And I think that's a big part of the Webflow community generally, actually. Yes. Wonderful process that wherein you're not just learning and learning and doing, but also giving back because uh, one of the most important aspect of learning is to also give back to the community because when you give back to the people, it helps you make realize, uh, give more clarity to your concepts, give more clarity to, you know, what, how you're doing, what is your process and where do you want to go in the future? So this has helped me a lot. And uh, that is why, you know, I take initiatives, whether be it in the form of newsletter or be it in the form of writing or talking on the podcast or in the form of sessions, because whenever I choose any particular topic, it helps me realize like what are the things that I've achieved so far. It helps me uh, go back and realize like how far I have come and what is like the main future goals that I have to yet achieve. I, I recommend to anyone that is trying to work out, you know, what they're doing in life. If you write a newsletter, a weekly newsletter, it is so game changing. I'm not sure if you found that, but I found it because you have the accountability factor because you know that you need to send it out. And it forces you to sit down and, and think carefully about what you're currently working on and, you know, the learnings that you're taking from that. And it, it's just such a magical thing to do. Right. I agree because uh, whenever I sit down, like when you're starting out uh, to think, you know, what should you be writing? It's very dreadful. Because you feel like you don't know what to write, what exact words should come out, whether the audience will like it or not. But when you actually don't think about these things and start writing anything about the topic, at the end, uh, you actually accomplish something and you feel proud of it. And if you do it frequently, it becomes very natural to you. Making a habit out of it is very important. Yeah, definitely. I think a lot of people would uh, really benefit 
if more of us just took a moment and wrote down what we were doing and shared that. And most of the time, you know, it's not necessarily going to be the best writing, right? But you're going to get better and better throughout the process. And it's so, so important to do. So tell me a little bit about your background, because I've been looking at your LinkedIn this morning. You've gone from working at Ernest & Young, which is an accountancy firm, to graphic design, to UX designer, to product designer, to freelance webflower. Tell me what happened. So let's dis- uh, discuss like my failure number one, because uh, that's where uh, this journey began, following the herd mentality. So when I was a kid, I used to love drawing, sketching, and I had a like, you know, creative spirit. I used to write even poems and make something out of the materials. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's like, you know, 15 years back when I was in school, uh, they didn't consider art to be a, like, you know, main subject. It's like a kind of hobby. So it was never encouraged like as a passion or something that can take you as a serious profession. So when you see people around you and you see that they are going into business education, they're going into science, they are going into law, you start thinking in those lines. So that's what I did because I come from business family. So everyone, my cousins, my elders actually pursued business uh, management. And so I also followed that path. I completed my graduation, even post-graduation in finance. And uh, I think my reality check was uh, when I got my first job in Ernst and Young. I think I spent six months over there. And then I started realizing this was not something I wanted to do. Now I'm here. What should I do? Because I already spent so many years studying about it. But I'm still managed like a year in that job and then marriage happened, kid happened. So I got the chance to leave the job and I tried to settle my personal th- uh, life. And once that was settled, I was again given a chance to go back to that industry and try my luck again in the job. I, I think I did one job for a month. And it was an eye-opener for me because that time I realized I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. This is something I can't do it. It's not because I was not at all passionate about, you know, waking up in the morning and going for that job. I knew that somewhere it's like taking a toll on my health and on my mind because I'm every time thinking that, you know, uh, okay, now it's it was like a burden for me to wake up in the morning and go there. I was, my motivation level was going down and down. And uh, thankfully, like my family was very supportive and they told me that it's okay, don't want to continue this. Why don't you take a break and figure out like, you know, what you want to do in life. So that's where I started uh, experimenting with a lot many things. I even tried like influencer marketing and teaching and then design happened to me I was just searching uh, something related to art and fine arts and then I saw about graphic design I went deep into graphic design and I know then I never looked back because I realized that this is the path finally I found that I have to follow I started deep diving into more and more into this particular field and then I realized about uh, there is a field called UX design 
I started watching YouTube videos and medium articles and uh, took some courses, cohort-based courses and found finally my path that this is what I want to do. During this like whole process, I couldn't even ask <laughs> my family that, you know, I want to go to the university because you have already spent so much money and time in, at the university. So I had to like, you know, take free courses and find the best possible way to gain education in this uh, field. Doing self-projects, doing internships, because uh, there was no way for me to go back to the school again. And the best part is that in this industry, uh, there's no age limit and there's no minimum qualification required. I joined the startup, my first job. Then they realized that, you know, I have a kid and I have a finance background. I'm like, you know, at the age of 29, I'm just, just starting over. So they didn't question my ability as a designer. They well felt very confident. They, the first thing they said to me is that, wow, great, you will bring in new perspectives. Because, you know, young people uh, have, a, they, they have the college life, but you have a different whole era of perspective that you can bring to our firm. So it was like uh, very inviting and I felt encouraged. Mm -hmm. Wow. Okay. Wait, you just need to <laughs> pause there. So you, you realized when you were Ernest Young that it wasn't for you. Right. You had worked an insane amount to get there. You thought that was what success was because of people around you and the, you know, societal and family expectations. You were like, yes, I'm Ernest Young. You get there. You're like, what am I doing here? Is this what the top of the mountain looks like? This is not me. Then you say to your family, guys, I love you dearly. Thanks for putting me through university and thank you for supporting me. But I don't want to do this anymore. And it sounds like they were really supportive and really encouraged you to go and find what you actually wanted to do. You got on YouTube, found all this amazing content and kind of find your way to, to UI UX design. And then you got off the job off the back of all of those free courses and, and everything else that you did to get there. Kudos to you because, I mean, one, I think saying to your family, hey, thanks for spending all this money on me. Thanks for supporting me on this journey that I thought I wanted to be on. I actually don't want to be on that. And I don't know about you, but I think depending on your cultural background, that can be harder, easier. I mean, it sounds like your family was really supportive, but in India, is is it is it normal to go through university and get to Ernest and Young and then say, you know what, this isn't really for me. It's really difficult because till date, my uh, father and even my husband doesn't understand what I do. It's like when I tell, when he's uh, watched me like, you know, designing, he feels like, you know, he was spending the whole day just moving around the boxes. He told me like, you know, logo design still feels like you're designing something, but I don't understand with the text and the button, you are just spending the whole day just trying to you know figure out the alignment so but that's okay but uh, I don't uh, blame them because it's like you know every person has different perspective and I think we should respect that because what they are going through in their daily life I can't understand that so what I'm uh, trying to achieve in my personal life it's totally different and I think that is why uh Instead of following that, uh, you know, herd mentality, seeing like, you know, what others are doing might be right for you. I think it took me a long time to realize that what is my personal goal? I don't have to follow other someone else's footsteps because they have achieved success. That doesn't mean 
that doesn't guarantee that I will also achieve the same level of success or same level of, you know, satisfaction. But if me and Keita, it's easy to say, I don't like this job, I'm going to move. There are countless people out there that are in a job that they don't want to be in and they do it anyway. Right. What gave you the courage, you know, considering you got, I don't know how many years of education, how much money was spent. It takes a lot of courage to listen to that niggling feeling to be like, this isn't right. This is not right. And I'm going to confront that. So what gave you the courage to confront that? I think uh, I had already realized it at Ernst and Young. I was uh, hardworking and I knew that I was giving good results at the job. But still, like, I was not motivated that, you know, I want to go to that particular higher position and uh, manage everything. And when I was given a chance to go back and I spent like one month in another job, then I realized that I was actually asking myself, you know, a lot of questions like, is this something that I want to do for the next 10 years? And like, you know, continuously beating myself up and going to that job. Why? Why should I be doing that? And I think when I stayed at home and uh, trying to figure out like, you know, what is the next thing? It's easy to say that I found design, but I think that whole period when I was free and I didn't have a clear path, it was stressful because ultimately like, you know, everyone is questioning uh, whether you can do something in life or not. Also at the back of the mind that have I taken the right decision or not? Because uh, once you leave the job, there is, even though the family is supportive, but still like, you know, you feel like if you don't have the clear path, then is it something that I did something in haste? But eventually, like I started exploring a lot of things and I found like a little bit satisfaction that, yes, I think I'm getting somewhere, but maybe it is taking time. But uh, I think this exploration part, I didn't do it during my school days or college days because since everyone was following same thing so I also did the same thing I didn't explore you know what else I could do I think if I would have done that in my college days or school days I think I would have figured that out very quickly I actually enjoyed that process wherein I started exploring different professions and then I finally find uh, found like the one that where I want to continue in the future it's interesting, this idea of what's normal depends on who's around you. You know, if it's normal in the workflow community to, you know, have multiple different clients and, you know, normal to potentially live abroad and work abroad and stuff. And depending on who you're talking to, outside of our tiny little webflow bubble, you know, it's like, wait, what? You're living abroad and you're free or whatever. You know, it's it's quite interesting. I just want to hone in on something that you said there, though, because I think it's really important that if you feel... And I, this is what I found personally, is that if you feel like something's not right, you know, listen to that feeling. And then even if you don't know exactly what the next step should be, take a step. I think the amount of people that are like, oh, I'm in this job I don't like, but I don't know what else to do. Do something and it's going to lead you to the thing that you should do. And that's exactly what you did. You went online, you know, you tried out this, you tried out that and you found UIUX. Go explore. There is such a plethora of different things you can do, and that is overwhelming. But as long as you're taking steps and you have a kind of compass direction, you have a hunch of where you're meant to be going, only positive things will come of that, I feel. I just think it's important to highlight that. I just want to mention one thing. Like, in my uh, close circle, like, no one is pursuing UX design or even graphic design. 
So when I tell them that this is something I'm pursuing, so they actually wonder like, how did you come to know about it? And I tell them through internet and they're like, mm. wow, how can you even, you know, take this course just by searching online? When we live in a very close circle and start imitating others, then you never move out of it. I think it's very important to explore what is beyond your circle. And uh, now that we have the power of net and there are so many endless uh, opportunities and possibilities lying around. So I think uh, you shouldn't just be confined to your surroundings. I don't think anyone can understand like what I'm doing right now, but that's okay. Because I have actually found my own community, my own tribe. So it's okay. Tell me about failure number two, Ankita. Chasing every new shiny object in the market. Yes, I think it's been for the past six months. I see like in Twitter, on Twitter, like everyone is tweeting about framers, blind, 3JS, JSAF. And I felt like a FOMO that I don't know any of it. So I was like, uh, what should I do now? And which should I choose? Where should I go? I was actually having this feeling like, you know, maybe I'm not that better at Webflow because I'm not doing any of these things. Maybe I'm falling behind because I'm not learning these new tools. Then Jonathan Worden told me like, you know, take a break because it's not necessary that everyone is doing everything. And they have like, you know, a background in whatever they're pursuing. Like some have like one year or five years of experience doing something. And you have just started out. And in order to go into something, you need to spend some time into it. So you can't just start everything at once. You can't think of doing like, you know, okay, today I will start with Spline. Next week, I will start with something else. And I will also try Framer in between. This is actually, I'm trying to create a burden on myself. I'm trying to add these burden of trying to learn new tools. And I don't even know whether this will work for me or not in the future. You know, maybe I don't even require Spline uh, or 3D objects in my projects. So how about it? Think of that way. And in order to pursue something, give some time to one particular thing. Instead of having a being a generalist, try and have a laser focus on one particular. For example, if I'm trying to learn about spline or even framer. So spend six months on that particular area so that you can have a better understanding of that particular field. Like last year, uh, I learned about accessibility with him. And I, I think I spent four months just studying about like, you know, what accessibility means uh, and what is like how you can incorporate in Webflow. I had a very transformational perception about it because earlier when I used to think of accessibility, it was it will make my designs look ugly. It will actually refrain me from uh, pursuing like animations and all because I want to do cool stuff. This is what actually motivates you to get into Webflow. But I think after understanding about this field, you realize like, you know, these are the things that can be done, but after implementing some practices and they are not like very difficult things to do. It's just that you need to have some knowledge about it. So same advice went for these uh, tools that are coming up in the market that it's okay. Like if you don't know anything about GSAP or 3JS. But if you want to pursue it, spend some time on it. Don't go after each and everything. It's like you have to filter out the noise. You don't have to pick each and every noise on Twitter. And I think I found that advice to be quite useful. Yeah, definitely. I really resonate with that because I I think it's a little bit like juggling. If you're trying to juggle five different balls, you're way more likely to drop 
a ball, right? <laughs> maybe all of them. Maybe you're going to drop all of them because it's really hard to juggle with that many balls. But if you've just got two or one, even you're going to be able to focus on them a lot better. You're way less likely to drop drop a ball. And uh, yes. yeah, I think it's really really hard to do three or four things really well rather than you know one thing. Focus on that really well. And I think it's also important to say that after you've got that thing down really well, say you're going to focus off Webflow, that right. is the main tool that you want to use. And you focus on that and you get good at that. Well, once you've got good at that, then maybe you can focus on something else. Oh, and and right. maybe you can have more than one deep skill set. But um, I, think it's, I think it's really strong advice to be like, there is so much stuff going on on like you log into right. twitter and it's like oh my god like everyone's making a product and there's a new tool that i should have tried that's the next big thing or whatever and uh it is quite overwhelmed but yeah i think it's really really good advice yes so i stopped checking twitter like i was very frequent user i used to check in twitter every hour but now i stopped doing it because i don't want that form coming again and again i try and focus my energy on the thing that currently i'm learning and uh, i think it's very important that if i find anything that i stumble upon i just ask on twitter or in the community this actually opens up the door for me to understand like well, how others are doing it how they are doing it uh, better than me and what are the better ways and what are the possibilities in that particular area yeah don't need to go into the sweet shop if you're not going to yes. eat any sweets yeah that's yes. a good uh, that's a good point and out of interest then are you doubling down on webflow as your as your tool because that seems to be the one that you're using most for for client work is that kind of you're like all right i'm shutting all the other doors but i'm keeping the webflow door why do yes. is that is that where you're currently focusing yes yes because uh i've seen i spend a lot of time on webflow and the best practices and i think i've given uh, like almost two years into it so i don't want to switch to the new tool until and unless like you know something better comes up that performs well like you know uh there was wordpress i created my first portfolio site on wordpress then you realize that there is a webflow which allows you to which gives you complete flexibility to create the portfolio like the way you want. So I switched to Webflow. Again, I want to add one more point. It's have a tunnel vision, like uh, whom do you want to serve? What's your main goal? Like if the if you have a set of clients, like you that if you have like, you know, SaaS lines or you want to build just the landing pages or the CMS websites. So I think the ultimate uh, vision should be like, you know, which is the best tool to serve that purpose. If you think that there's a better tool for landing pages, then go ahead with that particular one. Maybe Webflow is not the right tool for just for building the landing pages. Maybe like, you know, Webflow is not the best tool just for building the portfolios. But ultimately, it depends on like, what is your target audience and what is the best way to achieve that? I love that take. So instead of looking at what is the better tool, that's the wrong question. What you're saying is what is the better tool for the outcome you are looking to achieve? I think that's that's a really, really good way of looking at it. I just want to circle back to this to this failure because I think at the start, everyone's trying everything, right? And you're and you're trying to work things out. And and that is not necessarily bad. If you're doing that over a short period, like you, when you left Ernest & Young, you were trying out loads of different stuff. And I think that is really, really healthy. It's just when you do that for a long period and you're not actually kind of honing in on something or, or getting that much closer, I think 
that can be, you know, slightly difficult to build recognition in that space. So I just want to clarify that for anyone that's listening. You know, we we just talked about trying out stuff and and that being a really really healthy thing, but but then you're like close all the doors and focus on one door. It's it's only once you've you've had a look in each of the doors, right? And you 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 kind of uh, got a got a sense of which door you actually focus on. Ankita, tell me about failure number three, waiting for the work to come to you. Yes. So when I tweeted about like, you know, I'm open to freelance and uh, I'm open for project. I tweeted about it on Twitter and LinkedIn. And I saw that like for the next 15 days, I didn't get any project. And I was like, how can this be possible? <laughs> so I had a one-to-one conversation with Brandon from All Good Sleep. And he told me that this is not how things work because everyone has a freelancer in their network, all the agencies and the clients. And if you want to make connections with those uh, agencies, you have to tell them that you're available for work. You have to mail them. You have to reach out to them for the work. It's not that they are going to reach out to you that in case they don't have, in, if in case they find that, you know, their freelancer is quite busy or they don't have the capacity, that's was like you know an eye-opener for me and that's how I understood like the power of networking because once you are in the job you don't feel like you know you have to network with a lot of people because you're already doing that job and if if any additional work comes uh, like you know as a side project it's okay you take it because this is it doesn't matter much because you have that safe zone in this job but when you're a freelancer then you have to reach out to different different people asking for work and you have to be there in the agency's minds that, you know, I'm there for you because I'm available. So you have to do that repeatedly. It's not just like, you know, once or twice, you have to do it again and again. So this is something that I was not aware of. And uh, yeah, I started doing it because then I realized that this is not how the system works, that, you know, you keep shouting, I'm available, I'm available. <laughs> And then the work comes. You have to reach out to each of one of them separately and tell them and see if, you know, anyone is ready to help you with the project. It's a huge shift of mindset though, isn't it? Because if you yes. come from a traditional yes. job background, you just yep. get given the work, you do the work, you get paid the same salary dependent on how much work you do that month, right? Like it's just like, here's the work, here's the work, keep getting the work, you do the job. Right. And then when you're a freelancer, you're like, where's the work? <laughs> and 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 that's when you need to be a bit more front-footed don't you so tell us about that process then I mean if anyone's listening right now who's like Angita you say you networked you said you reached out what does that actually look like did you did you email over your portfolio and say I'm free from this day or kind of how did you um, actually approach that proactively one of the first thing that I looked at was my portfolio because earlier I was not actively looking at it because when I was in job I didn't feel the need to uh, you know revamp it or present the like you know, latest uh, case studies that I've done so first thing I did was uh, completely revamp my portfolio then I reached out I made a list of the webflow agencies that are out there and I just uh, also made an excel sheet and I just sent reached out to many of them through twitter as well as linkedin and I realized that people respond faster on Twitter than LinkedIn. Sometimes they don't even bother to read messages on LinkedIn. With some people, I couldn't uh, DM. So I mailed them that about my availability. I think through that 
few of them responded back. Through that, I started getting projects. And then the next thing that I'm still struggling with is how to manage my time with multiple projects and how to make sure that, you know, once a project is finished, you have the next in order. So this is something I'm still trying to figure out, you know, what is the best method of managing your time and still making sure that they are more in the pipeline. Mm, okay. So I feel like that's the next topic of the conversation, but I just want to focus in, you just said that. So you found that reaching out to people on LinkedIn didn't work so well. Maybe that's yeah. because um, there's loads of sponsored messages. There's loads of annoying spammy things that I don't know about you, but I get the whole time. So I can imagine that agency owners might feel the same way, probably get way more messages than me. And they're just like, Ugh, I don't even want to read that. But on Twitter, maybe it's a little bit more personal people can check out your account and see that you're, you know, a legitimate webflower from a very quick scan. And, uh, and, and they responded and that's how you started getting jobs. And then have you got maybe, I don't know, two or three agencies right now that you work with quite consistently or how is that kind of working for you as a freelancer? So I have got two agencies and one of the thing is like, you know, continuously sharing your work on LinkedIn and Twitter. Yeah. So this is what I was not actually doing it earlier, but now I have done started doing it frequently. So I also got like, you know, two retainer clients from it. So I think one of the best strategy I would advise is to show your work as much as you can, especially on LinkedIn, because over LinkedIn, you get the direct clients. I think this is, and it's very easy and very smooth going process when you work for a client. Interesting. So what you're saying is that the DMing people to get work on LinkedIn wasn't very successful. But when you posted about the work on your feed, a lot of people interacted with it. And then they came yes. to you off the back of that. Yes. Interesting. Okay, good. And and it sounds like you've got enough work coming in from just the two agencies. And then you've also got these, these two retainer clients as well. So you've yes. got plenty of work happening. And you know, you're know you okay as a freelancer, right? You've got quite consistent work. Is that right? Uh, not let's say consistent like there can be ups and downs because there can be a week when I don't have any work to do but that's fine because ultimately I'm trying to utilize that time in learning new stuff so that's how it is because uh, sometimes I have like four different projects uh, in a date like different different tasks to complete for four different projects and sometimes you have nothing to do <laughs> So that's the time where instead of worrying about it, I started like utilizing that time for other things like, you know, writing for the newsletter and writing for learning more about JavaScript. So this is how I manage my time. Yeah. So if anyone's like, I don't have any clients, what do I do? And Keita's just said a lot of different things that, that you can focus your time on to proactively do that. So connecting with people on LinkedIn, Twitter, again, I've also found that on Twitter, people are more likely to respond to DMs. And I also think it's important to say that how you DM someone is, is, is quite important. How did, you, how did you approach the DMing, the sliding into people's DMs? Okay, so I, um, most of the agencies that I reached out, actually I met them in the conference. So I didn't have any difficulty in DMing them because... Uh, I started with an introduction that we met on the conference and I had a great time chatting about you on this, this, this. So I just want started my freelancing journey. So I wanted to know, do you have any project in pipeline wherein I can help you with? So, yeah, and 
from there we on we started the conversation okay so that's a really important thing for people to know so and i was going to ask you about this because sometimes i'll get like a cold email or a cold dm and there's been no kind of warming up like i've never met this person i don't know who this person is and i've spoken to agency owners i'm not an agency owner, just to be clear but there are other people that i've spoken to that get these types of messages the whole time asking for stuff straight away without any kind of interaction or connection previous and actually that's slightly problematic because you're trying to you're trying to take before you've given something that that i've noticed um work quite well for for other freelancers that i've spoken to is that they'll follow someone for a while comment on their posts they'll respond to their newsletters they'll get to know the person a little bit or at least recognize their name i would recognize their profile picture before actually approaching them and saying if there's any work that I can help you out with, just to let you know that I'm a bit currently available for work, you know, here's my portfolio of that might interest you. But I think it's problematic if you just go, hey, I'm a freelancer looking for work. DM me if you're interested or whatever. Like, I don't know you. I don't have any human connection with you. I, I like you're just, a, you could be a bot for all I know. Um, right. But you're saying you've met them in person at a conference and that is how you had that human connection before. But I want to highlight one more thing that I had done that approach before, like wherein, you know, we don't know each other at all. And I mm. just went away and started, you know, uh, cold emailing them. And I know I didn't receive any response, but that's where I understood like the power of networking. That's how I understood, like, you know, when you're a freelancer, you have to network with a lot of people to make them realize that, you know, these are your core skills and this is how you're good at. It's not just by, you know, putting out your portfolio out there. See, this is my portfolio. This is what I've done. So that won't help yeah. actually. Because there are like, you know, thousands of people who have uh, done the similar work and they don't know like who to trust with, their pro- uh, with the process. So I think even by a little bit of interaction, you need to gain trust. You need to build confidence among them so that they can hand over their pro- their client's project to you. This is something actually I didn't know before, but after jumping into freelance. So this was another, a big takeaway from, for me. Can I, can I ask you something else that you, you said earlier as well, that I think is um, really important. So you're not just sharing the work when it's finished, you're sharing things throughout the process of actually, you know, maybe you've uh, just done a strategy session at the start of redesigning and rebuilding someone's website. And you're sharing something from that. Or there might be, you know, a picture of your sketches of the wireframes. Or I think it's really important to say to people that you don't need to create the most beautiful social media posts. What you need to do is is consistently show up and, and be, in, be in someone's feed and show not just the final result, but the process of getting there. And you can take, you know, in my experience, you can take pretty scrappy photos which are like process-based things which actually you know might show way more of what your particular skill set is than a beautifully finished final website that has you know you've worked on with a few different people and it's kind of like well what did you specifically do with that process in my experience i think it's really important to say that like ankita said it's not just posting your final work yes you know Maybe you can do a beautiful Twitter post like Grace Walker does, for example, when she finishes the web. But also share the journey because that's as important 
to getting the final result as the final result itself. Yes, I think one of the most important thing that uh, I realized is uh, share your learnings as frequently as you can. Because every time you get a project, you learn something new out of it. And it's very important to get there out in the world. Only then people can understand like, you know, at what phase are you in? What kind of projects you are doing? And what are your great takeaways? Because no one really spends too much time on checking the someone's portfolio. They are not going into the details. They just have a very uh, rough look because they have like many portfolios to look at and they have a very busy schedule. So in case you are actually sharing your process, like this is how I do it. So somewhere in, your, uh, in their minds, you are actually registering yourself. There was a couple of questions that I want to finish this interview on from the Webflow community. Um, so Marcelo from, uh, friends agency, he asked as a result of doing the speed build challenge, has your life changed significantly? Yes, because I entered into freelance, but honestly, I didn't want to enter into freelance, uh, willingly. It's just that actually quite a sad story happened with me. And when I came back from conference, I was laid off uh, because my company thought that uh, I will get a good job offers and they were already having trouble with the finances. So they wanted to lay off, lay off the employees and I was the first one to be laid off. But within two days, I got a very good job offer from a Miami-based company and I did web design and web flow projects for a month. And uh, later on, I re uh, didn't receive any payment for the first month. And I kept, you know, asking the owner, like, when will I get it? When will I get it? And later on, I realized I have been duped by that company. So I think it was like December was the most uh, low point in my life wherein I realized I don't have any job and uh, I don't know, like, what's the next thing that holds for me. So I went back to the startup, uh, the company where I was working. Uh, I told them my situation and they agreed that uh, they will keep me for another month. And uh, then eventually you have to find something for yourself. And I agreed to it. So for January, I completed my uh, job and I realized like, you know, maybe I should give freelance a try. And I'm actually quite happy with this because with freelance, there's a new set of challenges. And new set of things that I'm learning, life skills, like, you know, managing your time, like marketing. This is something I didn't do it. Like, you know, you're continuously sharing your work, you're networking with people. As a freelancer, I'm actually learning all these tricks and tips and uh, reaching out to more people. Wow. So the speed build trying <laughs> kind of set you off in maybe an unexpected direction as a result yes. of getting the exposure yeah. that you did. That's wild. Hilary Cluett asks how is your accessibility book coming along so we have already published that book uh, the little book of accessibility it's available on popup.studio so uh, if anyone wants to have a look at it they can go to that particular website and uh, i think it's for uh, five pounds or something you can buy it and have a look at it yeah it's done hillary it's already out yeah. there in the wild so go yeah cop it and anyone else that's interested in learning more about accessibility go and have a look it's on the studio website it will be in the description of the show notes and Keita, are you ready for your final question yes 
what is your next failure going to be? Not really sure, but I think uh, it has to be around pricing, pricing of the projects. I'm still trying to figure it out because with each client, there's a like, you know, huge difference in terms of pricing. And I'm just still trying to figure out like instead of me giving them the price, how to get the price, how to know like, you know, what is the budget of the client? It's not like easy for me to say no, because if I see like, you know, for the next two weeks, I don't have any project coming up. So I'm ready to do it for a discounted price. But I don't want the client to run away after hearing the price. So how to figure that out, how to manage that? I'm still struggling with it. Thanks to Ankita for coming on the podcast and thanks to you for listening. I think the part of the podcast that gave me the most satisfaction and maybe you as well is when Ankita was talking about reaching out to people via social media and getting people to take an interest in her as a freelancer and potentially hire her. There's some really important things that she talks about like warming people up if you're reaching out to them, not just going in for an ask straight away maybe you've connected at a networking event or you know maybe you started following them on social before messaging them and asking for work she also talks about how on twitter she found that people responded more and she also talks about the importance of actually doing the reaching out herself a lot of the time you think oh i've made my portfolio okay clients roll on in And that simply doesn't happen as much as you might want it to. And it's really, really important to be front-footed and actually send your portfolio to people and also get it in front of people that can actually hire you potentially as an agency, not just clients. Next week, I'm going to be having Jamie Dowis from Virago Development on the podcast. Really juicy episode for you guys next week. So have a great week, guys. And remember, keep on flailing.